We don't typically recognize it in ourselves as readily as we see it in others. But we know it, we recognize it, when we hear it or when we see it in others. I'm talking about that aura of superiority that runs rampant through the human race. It may be as immature as Nellie Olson. You know who I'm talking about, right? Mercy if you don't know who I'm talking about. It may be as immature as Nellie Olson, or maybe most evidence in political contests. It may be cloaked with a sly grin or as bold as can be. Yet however it is manifested, it is evident in all of us. We default to feeling superior to others. And maybe especially so when we consider our own religious activities. This is the idea, this idea of superiority is front and center in the, the second half of Romans 2. So if you haven't yet located the book of Romans in, on your device or in your copy of the Christian Bible, it's the, the sixth book of the, of the New Testament. Would you please turn there? Romans is an epistle. It's a letter that the, that the Apostle Paul wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and sent to the church at Rome. It's, it's a, a doctrinal masterpiece that Paul uses to describe the undeserved, the unmatchable, and yet the unstoppable gospel of Jesus Christ. We're wrapping up chapter 2 today. It's, it's part of a section that goes through the end of the chapter 4 and explains the heart of the gospel. Uh, we're, we're talking about the heart of the gospel, specifically how we need God's righteousness and how the fact that we need God's righteousness if we hope to have any uh, eternal security at all. We need God's righteousness. And, and Paul outlines for us that the way that we have the righteousness of God is first that God's righteousness is revealed through his wrath. God is angered by our sin. Our rebellion against God causes him to be angry with us. Paul tells us that the, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness of men, ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then we're coming to the second subsection about the righteousness of God is reigning, it's ruling with justice. And we spent several weeks talking about the impartiality of God and how that, that God is, is angered with sin, uh, with, with Jews and with Gentiles. Those who knew the law, those who didn't know the law. Those who received the law, those who didn't receive the law. Those who were God's special people, those who were not chosen to be God's special people, yet God is reigning with justice, without partiality over all of the human race. And then eventually we'll come to this, this last part of the heart of the gospel as we come into chapters 3 and 4 and consider the righteousness of God is received by faith. Today is part 2 of our study in the second half of chapter 2. Last week we began thinking about the inadequacy of religion in relation to God's judgment, His coming judgment of sin. So there are religious activities of which we are all involved with. There are religious activities in this world. But none of our religion is adequate. Religion in and of itself is not adequate when it comes to the judgment of God's sin upon us. In other words, no matter how religious we are, we remain on level playing ground with the rest of humanity. We are not superior to other sinners because we are more religious, to use that term broadly, 
than other sinners. Paul wants us to understand that all of our religiosity falls short of of obtaining God's favor. So he issues a sobering warning, as the Holy Spirit has guided him to pen this letter. Paul issues a sobering warning to the church at Rome and to us today regarding our attitude of superiority. A warning Pointing to our, about pointing to our religion in a way that suggests that we are superior to others or in less need of God's grace. We are not, in fact, superior to others in this world because of our religious traditions and practices. So here it is in a nutshell this morning. Beware of any feelings of superiority. Those are contrary to God's grace. Beware of any feelings of superiority because those are contrary to God's grace. You remember from last week that the, the section beginning of verse number 17, it, it, it talks about the candidates for hypocrisy. I'm going to read beginning now at verse 17. Would you follow along in Romans chapter 2? Behold, you call yourself a Jew and rest in the law and make your boast of God and and know His will and approve the things that are more excellent because you're instructed from the law. And you are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to them that are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, which has the form of knowledge and of the truth in the law. Paul wanted to warn the Jews in Rome that their heritage did not earn them salvation. The Jews were to be a channel of God's blessing to the whole world. They were not to be an exclusive club unto themselves. Paul says that a candidate for hypocrisy can be someone who is relying on their knowledge of the law, of the word. It can be someone who is relying on the reality that they themselves were a teacher of the law, that they themselves knew the law so well that they were teaching the law to others. So if people think that they are safe from God's judgments, because of their heritage, because they know what the Word says or have taught the Word, Paul says you misunderstand the heart of the Gospel. This passage warns all of us. Each of us could be falsely secure. Any of us could foolishly rely on our heritage or on our upbringing uh, instead of relying on what Christ did for us. Now I realize that I think about the sermon more than anybody else, because I'm the one who preaches the sermon and prepares to preach the sermon. But after last week's warning about hypocrisy, I just kept thinking about it all week long, searching my heart and being sobered about my own candidacy of being a hypocrite. We've heard in recent months of a world-renowned Christian apologist who knew and taught the word effectively and had a massive following who has died recently but who may have been living in blatant disobedience to the word he taught. Brothers and sisters, this should be sobering to each of us. We can't dismiss this this problem away as being for everyone else. We must acknowledge our own tendency towards resting in our religion instead of our relationship with God. Each of us are candidates for hypocrisy. Next, uh, last week we saw the conduct of hypocrisy. Continuing in the passage, verse 21. Thou therefore which teachest another, 
Do you, teach, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? Thou that sayest a man should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you commit sacrilege? Paul says he wants us to know how we live is an indicator of whether or not we have a false security. Stealing. You who preach against stealing, do you steal? Now we can find all kinds of creative ways to be thieves, can't we? Hypocrites preach against stealing and then steal themselves. Adultery. You who, want, you who say that one should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? Men and women of, of Harvest Bible Church. We are hypocrites if we say that one should not commit adultery and then we allow our hearts or our minds or our bodies to do so. Hypocrites say that one should not commit adultery and then do so. How about idolatry? You who abhor idols, rob te- do you rob temples? We are idolatrous in many ways. As has been said, our hearts are idol factories. Stealing, adultery, idolatry are three out of the numerous examples of conduct that remains hypocritical. So Paul identifies the candidates and the conduct of hypocrisy. Next, and we barely just got touched on this last week, and so this is where we're we're kind of picking up this morning. Next, Paul explains the consequences of hypocrisy. Follow along to verse 23. Thou that makest thy boast of the law through breaking the law, dishonorest thou God? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles through you, as it is written. One of the consequences to our hypocrisy is dishonoring God. Paul is talking to those who are boasting in the law, who know the law. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, I'm speaking to those of you who know the law. In other words, those who best know what God wants dishonor God by breaking the law. Sin dishonors God. Isn't that what what David said in Psalm 51? Against you and you only have I sinned. Have I done what is evil in your sight? So for us, claiming Christ but living living in and pursuing sin causes God's name to be dishonored, to be blasphemed. Hypocrisy dishonors God. We are seeking to live in a doxological way, all to the glory of God, as 1 Corinthians 10.31 reminds us. Yet, if we live in hypocrisy, we dishonor God. Brothers and sisters, be reminded that all of our life should honor God. We dishonor Him through our hypocrisy. Secondly, Paul points out to us that the name of God is being blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, because of your hypocrisy, because you are claiming to that one should not commit adultery, and yet you commit adultery. You're claiming that one should not steal, and yet you're stealing. You're claiming that we should love God, and yet you're being idolatrous. So Paul says that hypocrisy dissuades man. John MacArthur said it this way, An unbeliever has no reason to repent of his sins and turn to God for salvation if he sees professed believers committing the same sins. An unbeliever has no reason to repent of his sins and to turn to God for salvation if he sees professed believers committing the same sins. Jesus instructed us to let our our light shine before men. You and I are called to evangelize, to go make disciples of all nations. Paul warns us that our hypocrisy actually goes against our evangelistic efforts. Sinners are, sinners are put off from the gospel through our hypocrisy. 1 Peter 2 says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and as exiles 
to abstain from the passions of, of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Here it is. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Hypocrisy puts off unbelievers from the gospel. Now, here's a Captain Obvious application of this text. Christian, your sarcasm about COVID-19-related issues or your ignorance of COVID-19-related issues, your knowledge about it, your apathy for all that surrounds COVID-19, can potentially signal hypocrisy to our world. We have to be aware of the hypocrisy trap. I understand that there are conspiracy theories that you think are legitimate. I understand that science is real. I understand that some of us understand science better than others of us understand science. What's a molecule again? I understand that the mainstream media is often inaccurate, biased, has their own agenda. I understand that both major political parties have flawed motives and unproven solutions. There are a whole lot of dynamics that are involved. Understood. But further, in light of all of that, as we apply this passage, I do not believe that the Christian is called to remain completely silent. I should have, the urge, right, to, to, be, to be active and to, to, to not be silent on social media is great. I should have kept track of all the statuses that I typed into my Facebook account over the last seven months and then just backspaced over and put a Bible verse in its place. Amen. Put a Bible verse. I do believe that Christians are called to be wise and patient and humble and inclined towards deference and all around gentle to one another. So Harvest Bible Church, on social media, in face-to-face -face conversations, in mask-face-to-mask-face -mask -face conversations, in other interactions, some of us have been too outspoken. Some of us have been uncharitable in our conversations. Have you? I haven't used this feature yet, but I'm aware that there's a feature on Facebook that allows you to snooze someone for 30 days. Oh yeah, some of you responded. You've used that feature. This means that you won't see someone else's posts for 30, day, 30 days or so. Hear this from a pastor who loves you dearly, who prays for you by name each week. Some of you have been snoozed by the people who love you the most. And if you're sitting there thinking, fine, I don't care if they snooze me, then this warning is specifically, especially for you. If the people who love you most, the people of Harvest Bible Church, are uh, put off, how do you think it's being received by the people who do not yet know the grace of our loving Lord? I realized that I just opened up a huge, giant-sized can of worms because there are about a million variables to the equation. But the bottom line of this specific application is this. We do not want to dissuade unbelievers through our hypocrisy. We do not want the name of God being blasphemed among, the, among unbelievers because of our hypocrisy. So you believe that COVID is a hoax? No problem! Do it with a gentle spirit. 
You believe that COVID isn't being taken seriously enough? No problem. But believe it with humility. Whichever way you lean, handle your opinion with concern for others. It doesn't matter what the issue is. I've chosen the, 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 the obvious one this morning. It doesn't matter what the issue is, what side of the issue you're on, what political candidate it is, which side of the aisle you're on. What does matter is that if we claim that we are Christ followers who are called to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves, then we should not con- contradict that claim, that profession, by being unkind, uncharitable to the rest of the world, to one another. Don't we read in, in John's Gospel, a new commandment I have given you, Jesus said, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So what matters is that we do not blaspheme the name of God among the Gentiles through our hypocrisy. You believe something? Great. Believe it. Have a strong opinion. Believe it with conviction. Follow it with your God-given conscience. But for the honor of God's name and for the cause of the Great Commission, believe it with charity and believe it with humility that is to be a characteristic of our life. You might think the greatest kindness that you can show someone in Lancaster is false data related to a pandemic. But in reality, the greatest kindness that you can show someone in Lancaster is the true data related to the Prince of Peace. So being right, is being right in an argument about politics or pandemic, a pandemic more important to you than someone's eternal soul? One victim of that Christian apologist that we, I mentioned earlier, re- responded to this, this situation and said that they have not been back to church and they don't want to have anything to do with Christianity. Friends, there are eternal souls that we do not want to put off to the gospel. Hypocrisy is destructive to evangelism. Christian, these verses call us to, 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 to gracious ways. These verses call us to repent of being ungracious. These verses call us to acknowledge our pride, to acknowledge our uncharitable ways. And to use the Apostle Paul's words, we're being called to stop blaspheming the name of God among unbelievers. So one of the ways, one of the consequences to our hypocrisy is dissuading, pulling, put, putting people off to the gospel. But the most serious consequence of hypocrisy is potentially for yourself. The most serious consequence to hypocrisy is that you could deceive yourself about your own eternal security. Paul was writing to those who were, who were trusting in their heritage, trusting in their knowledge of the law, trusting in their religious culture. All the while they were liars, they were thieves, they were idolaters. Friend, you can be all around the gospel. You can be involved in a church that teaches the gospel. You can explain the message of the gospel to others and still go to hell because the gospel has not been personalized for you. You have not called upon the name of the Lord to be saved. Unless you acknowledge the way of Jesus, that is, that Jesus lived in your place, perfectly fulfilling the demands of the law, you will not be eternally rescued. However, if you trust that Jesus lived and died in your place, that you in no way, no way possible could fulfill the law. And if you repent of your sin, God will save you for all of eternity. That's the good news 
of the gospel. Beware. Beware of feelings of superiority. Those are contrary to God's grace. So Paul explains these sobering consequences to, a, to our hypocrisy or to, to hypocrisy. And then he moves on to identify a specific crutch to hypocrisy. Look at verse number 25. For circumcision verily profiteth, truly it's a prophet, if thou keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcision. Therefore, if the circumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? And shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, and shall not uncircumcision, which is by nature, if it fulfill the law, judge you who by the letter of by the letter and circumcision does transgress the law? Paul wants us to see that one of the elements that bolsters, or I used crutches to keep with the alliteration for you for your help this morning, one of the, the elements that bolsters our hypocrisy can be our ceremony, our religious rites. For the Jews specifically that Paul was writing to, it was circumcision. For, for today, it could be a number of things. Note that Paul doesn't denounce circumcision. Circumcision was God's plan that was instituted way back in Abraham's day. But while the apostle doesn't denounce the, the ceremonial practice, he does offer a, a vital clarification. Circumcision was of great value if the Jews understood and lived out its intended significance. But if the meaning was disregarded, then circumcision was meaningless. You can wear your wedding band while you commit adultery. You can be a circumcised Jew and still reject God. You can sit in a church service each week and still be on your way to hell. This surgery of circumcision that God began with, with Abraham, it was symbolic of man's sinfulness that has passed from one generation to another generation continually. Sinful, we're sinners by, by birth and by choice. And just like that male body part was cleansed of a covering, man needs the very center of his sinful nature to be cleansed. Every human being needs cleansing of the hearts because every human being is a sinner. This, is impo this important act of circumcision, this ceremonial ritual, carried no spiritual power. It did not give them uh, it did not give them more credit with God. It was merely an outward symbol. It was not a means of their salvation. Later on in, in Judaism, uh, we, we read of, in, in history that Judaism taught that circumcised people would never go to hell. That's not what Paul was telling the Jews. That's not what God told the Jews. That's not what circumcision was all about. But here, so here Paul is teaching otherwise. Circumcision, it was the last card, if you will, for the Jews. They thought that circumcision made them a member of God's family, just as many people today believe that they are saved merely by being members of a church. Recently, I was, I was telling somebody about Jesus, and they were telling me about their mainstream denominational church, and I asked them, so, what does your church teach about Jesus? My friends, that's what it's about. It's not about a denomination. It's not about church membership or baptism. It's about faith in Jesus Christ and repentance of our sins. Those other things can be important. If you're interested in being baptized, we'll be thrilled to talk with you about that. Baptism is an outward sign of, of what God promises to do inwardly, what he has done inwardly. 
It's a visible testimony of identifying as a Christ follower. But in the end, on Judgment Day, your eternity will not be, be, be based on whether you are baptized on the outside, but whether you are baptized on the inside, whether you've been born again. In other words, it's not an external act from you. It's an internal act on you. Church membership is important. We have a class coming up. I mentioned it earlier. There are numerous, numerous advantages of being a member of a local church. But church membership offers you no saving grace on Judgment Day. Friend, don't allow religious rites, traditions, to crutch your hypocrisy. Verse 27, the Jews commonly believed that they would, would sit in judgment over the Gentiles. The Jews thought that they were superior to, to all the others, to the rest of the world. And here, Paul really grabs their attention when, when he reverses that thought and he suggests that the uncircumcised person who is completing the law will actually sit in judgment over the Jew who has the written code, who has circumcision. It's possible that those on the outside are more sensitive to the spirit of the law than these Jews were, even though the outsiders did not know the letter of the law. Friends, beware of feelings of superiority. Those are contrary to God's grace. The last two verses of chapter 2 give to us the contrast of hypocrisy. Look at verse 28. For he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly. I think the ESV says, No one is a Jew who is, who is merely one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Circumcision is, is not just a physical thing. But the one who was a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is out of the heart, in the spirits, and not the letter, whose praise is not from men, but of God. Paul draws into the heart of the matter as he's, as he's summarizing here. It's actually a matter, a, a matter of the heart. The basic contrast is an in, is in inner versus an outer contrast. What is seen with the eye versus what God sees into the heart. Martin Lloyd-Jones said it this way, What makes a man a Jew is not primarily that he belongs to a particular nation. It is not a matter of national attachment or some external position. Rather, it is an inward state. It is exactly the same with circumcision. That which is really circumcision is not something external in the flesh, as the Jews thought, is something of the hearts and the spirits and of the inner man. Isn't that what we read of in the Old Testament when Samuel was called to go anoint the king of Israel and he went down the line of Jesse's, Jesse's sons and he finally came to David and God, reminded, God reminds us that man looks on the outward appearance but God looks in the hearts. Luke chapter 16, verse 15, Jesus told the Pharisees, you are those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. Apostasy moves the religious focus from the inward to the outward, from, the, from humble obedience to empty formality. What's going on in your, in your heart on this Lord's Day, HBCer? God knows your heart, young man. God knows your heart, ma'am. We can have everyone in the world fooled, but God knows our hearts. There's not a thought, there's not a single motive 
There's not a single action or idea of our hearts that our omniscient God does not know all about. So the Apostle Paul closes by summarizing. He says, knowledge of God's law, morality, does not win God's approval. It actually leads to a greater accountability, to a greater condemnation in the end. Membership in religion does not win God's approval. Ceremonies such as circumcision or baptism or fill in the blank, those do not win God's approval. Instead, God is looking at the hearts. Salvation is only available via the work of Jesus Christ, applied by the Father through the ministry of the Spirit. My friends, God knows our hearts. It's the contrast to hypocrisy is the humble hearts. When it comes down to it, you are not superior. You are not deserving of something good because of something that you have done. You'll remember that this whole chapter, we've put it under the section about God ruling with justice. It would not be fair of Almighty God to save someone based on their knowledge of the law or on, on based on their religious rights. God says religion is inadequate to obtain my righteousness. Instead, there must be a relationship. There must be an acknowledgement of sin, an understanding of what is deserved, an acceptance of grace. So here is today's invitation to you. If you have been leaning on yourself, if you have been trusting in your own goodness instead of leaning on Jesus and believing in Jesus' perfection, then I invite you to come to Jesus today. I invite you to call upon the name of the Lord and to be saved. I invite, him, I invite you to ask Him to be the Lord of your life. I invite you to trust in His law-keeping in your place. I invite you to be born again through the precious blood of Christ. But for us as Christians, to those, who, to those of us who are trusting in Jesus, how do we respond to such a stern and sobering warning against hypocrisy? First, we must confess. We must confess our own hypocrisy. Ask God, spend time today at the close of this service, later this week, tomorrow morning, spend time asking God to reveal to you ways in which you have been hypocritical. Ask God to, to reveal ways to you in which you have, you have blasphemed the name of God among the unbelievers in Lancaster or on your news feed. Ask God to reveal to you ways in which you have professed Jesus but have acted in ways that are not charitable, that have not been humble. Confess your sins to God with the great hope, knowing the promise that He is faithful and that He is just to forgive you of your sins. So first we respond with confessing, asking God to show us our feelings of superiority in our mind and what, and what we say. We repent of that aura, of that attitude of superiority. Second, we rejoice. We are thankful, as we sang this morning, be thankful that God has not left, you, left it up to you uh, to, who, who would fail, but be thankful that instead He left it up to Jesus who can never fail. And be thankful that God sent His one and His only Son, Jesus Christ, to, to, to the earth to live for you, perfectly fulfilling the demands of the law, going to the cross, becoming a curse for you, the one who knew no curse, that we might know the righteousness of God. So we respond with thanksgiving and worship, and you stand back and say, oh, 
God, you've done this for me. Let me go live for you this week. Let me live a way that's, that's consistent with the, with the profession that I've made of faith in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, may I suggest that we respond by establishing relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ that will lovingly confront us when we go astray. I don't have that relationship with everybody in this room. You don't have that relationship with everybody in this room. But there should be relationships in your life. You should foster, you should initiate and foster relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ who will help you. That's God's plan for the church. That's God's plan for your continued growth as one of, as one of his children, as a Christ follower. That you will have people in your life who can speak truth to you, the truth of God's word. Who can say, hey, you're saying this with your words? You've professed to have faith in Jesus Christ. You've professed that you're a child of God. But you're living in this way. And what you said in this way, that's blaspheming the name of God among the, the unbelievers of our community. Hey, you've professed to do this. Brother or sister, let me lovingly ask you to consider, is this really consistent with what you've professed of your faith in Christ? So establish relationships. Maybe that's your connection group. That's one of the, the primary goals of our connection groups, to, to help you have relationships within the body of Christ to encourage you, yes, to hold you accountable, but to encourage you to walk with you because we all need help in this journey. Where does your confidence lie, Christian? Has your faith found a resting place? If so, where is that resting place? If it is in Jesus, then by God's grace, let us go live for him to the praise of his glory this week. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.